Hello and welcome back to Management Cast, where some of the brightest minds in the business world explain the commercial concepts shaping industry today. This week, we're back with IMD's Jennifer Jordan. Jennifer is a social psychologist and is Professor of Leadership and Organisational Behaviour at IMD. Great to have you back, Jennifer. Thank you, John Joseph. Really, really pleasure to be here again. On the last show, you gave some words of warning about faking it until you make it. And I wanted to pick up on some of the other dangers surrounding power in this week's episode. So I'll start with a very well-known quote, a word of warning. It's the saying that power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely. So a lot of the listeners who are tuning in will, I'm sure, be interested to know about how to gain power, what power is, and uh, how to sort of increase influence within their own organization. And you've already said how people come to you with these kind of questions. But can you have too much power? And, and what can that mean for your decision making? So I think, um, you know, we think we all know that that saying absolute power corrupts absolutely. I think there is also a bad rap that power gets in the sense that um, people think power is always a corrupting force. And actually, the data is quite mixed. The way you want to think about power is that power essentially acts as a magnifying glass. So if you have really benevolent intentions and you want to help people and you get more power, you will become more helpful because you have more resources around you. The other positive part about power is that it tends to make people goal-oriented, more goal-oriented, so they narrow in on their goals, but also tends to make them more action-oriented, so they will do more. And of course, if this is all in the pursuit of benevolence, um, that can be really, really helpful. The thing to think about, though, is, as I said, power acts as a magnifying glass. So when people get power, it sort of expands or magnifies, simply, whatever state they are in or whatever mindset they're in. Now, of course, we also know that that... that Power can transform the state that people are in or the mindset that they are in. And so perhaps one of the more corrupting forces is that power makes you go inwards rather than go outwards, meaning that you kind of go into your more egocentric needs, your desires, your wants. As I said, it makes you more goal-oriented um, because essentially you don't need other people as much when you have power. You can exist on your own. You can do what you want without permission from others, etc. And so... Because it makes you go inwards, you are less empathetic to others. You're less concerned about their states compared to your own. One positive part is that you tend to be goal-oriented. Of course, if those are benevolent goals that you have, great. If they're more malevolent or self-serving goals, not so good. And, And that saying, absolute power corrupts absolutely, suggests or has inherent in it this idea of absolute power, meaning no checks and balances. And of course, we can have checks and balances externally, but we can also have internal checks and balances, meaning things like just basic self-control. So self-control is an individual difference. Some of us have it more than others have it. And a dangerous combination is somebody that has a lot of power and lacks that personality dimension of self-control. Because as you can imagine, or maybe as you've even experienced yourself, when you have more power, you have access to really cool and desirable things. And if you can't control those desires to get those cool and desirable things, it can become corrupting and quite evil, if I may use the word. That's very interesting. So let's let's dive down into that a little bit more. When you're talking about these attributes that someone needs to have to make sure that they wield their power in a, in a proper and productive way, there seems to be a great degree of kind of self-understanding, self-recognition that goes on with that. What kind of advice would you give to leaders within organizations 
about how they can you know, better recognize positive and negative attributes in themselves when it comes to wielding power in this way. Yeah, I mean, I would say that even if we weren't talking about power here, John Joseph, I would, I would say that the most important foundation for a leader, maybe not the most important quality or competency, but foundation for a leader is self-awareness. Are you aware of your strengths and your weaknesses? Are you aware of your predispositions, your personality traits? Because then you can be monitoring, especially if you have a higher level of self-monitoring and you're fairly self-perceptive, self-aware, you can start to notice these changes in your own behavior, how certain things bring out the positive and the negative in you. So I would say, I mean, it is an absolutely critical step for leaders to be self-aware if they're not already have to learn how to do that. Now, how do you learn how to do that? I mean, one way is, is through personality assessments, coaching, etc. Another way is feedback, right? One of the ways we become most self-aware is that feedback. I mean, they say feedback is a gift. It doesn't always feel like a gift when you get it, but it does help you to become more self-aware. Now, the challenge with power is that we know that as you climb the hierarchy, people are less likely to spontaneously give you feedback. So uh, you have to you have to really actively solicit it and also create the psychological safety where people feel that you won't chop off their heads if they give you feedback that might be less desirable or less positive, I should say. So Jennifer, you've spoken there a little bit about how as people go up a power hierarchy, they're less likely to receive feedback. Can you talk as well a little bit about whether or not people are less unwilling to receive it, countless criticism and seek advice when they are higher up the power hierarchy? Well, I think, um, yes, that, that is also true, that we also... De- deflect the feedback perhaps less. Although going back to what I said earlier, that power really is a magnifying glass. So if you are someone who's super self-aware and very open to feedback, when you are in power, it might not change a lot for you. What we do know, however, is that as you go up the hierarchy, as you become more powerful, a couple things happen. One, you become ego, more egocentric. So you tend to go inwards. Um, You also tend to become more invulnerable. So you kind of think, ah, you know, bad things might happen to other people. They're not going to happen to me. I'm I'm untouchable. And there's some reality of that, right? As you go up the hierarchy, you do become more invulnerable to certain things. You maybe become more vulnerable to others, but there are certain things that you do escape, quote unquote, escape as you go up. And I think the other thing to think about is that as you gain power, you also tend to think you're just more interesting and attractive and brilliant. And we did a study, it's been about 12 years now, but we did a study looking at, for example, power and infidelity. Are people with more power more likely to cheat? And we indeed found that's the case, that people in in more power are more likely to have these extra relationship affairs. But what was interesting about that study was two things. One, there's this kind of, there's this stereotype and also a belief in society that women are less likely than men to have extramarital affairs. But actually what we found is it's more of a power effect than a gender effect. In fact, when we equated power, women were as equally likely to have these affairs as men were. However, in most places in society, it is the men who have power, not the women. So actually it's not a gender effect, it's a power effect. So one thing, interesting thing we found, now why, why I'm bringing this up is the second thing we found. We asked people why they cheated. And they said things like, well, I'm just more attractive to other people. I'm so interesting. I have this natural charisma that people can't resist. 
And it was interesting to me to hear these statements because it was, again, showing that as you gain power, you tend to believe that you are indeed more interesting and attractive. And that in itself, I don't have specific data to connect it with feedback, but that in itself would suggest that that allows you, but it perhaps predisposes you to be less open to negative feedback from others. Probably positive feedback you're welcome to get, but the negative, maybe not, not so much. So Jennifer, you've given a couple of examples there of negative outcomes uh, when it comes to people in positions of power. Can you give any examples of when people in position of power have listened to advice, have let feedback improve business outcomes for them? Oh, absolutely. And again, I, I don't want to give power a bad rap because I think I've seen as many examples of where power leads to really positive things as where it leads to more corrupt or negative things. But I'm thinking, for example, of a CEO that I worked with in the past and I still know. And he, it was a, a male leader, he specifically wanted to really examine his own leadership style. And so he gave a 360 assessment. He took it himself, obviously. He asked a couple members of their supervisory board to assess him. He asked all members of his executive team to assess him and then some customers as well. And there were some things in the assessment that were not so positive. And from that, he got a coach and through efforts that have taken about a year to work on, he's really improved in his leadership. And he says for him, he really like, while feedback's a gift, it wasn't great to open that 360 and see some of the negative feedback that people were giving him for some of his weaknesses. But he said he feels like a much stronger and more aware leader. But he said it also another thing that it has done is connect him to his team because they are really positively encouraged by the way that he did take their feedback seriously and has acted upon it. So I think it does two things, right, when you accept feedback. One, it transforms you if you're willing to try to change yourself based on that feedback. But the other one is it often connects you more to the people who give that feedback because they see that you really care and that you want to improve the relationship and that you take their feedback seriously. I want to move on to talking about the loss of power. Do you have any advice for leaders that are perhaps facing that circumstance, whether or not they're moving on from an organization or perhaps they are facing retirement? Can this be a very difficult time and how do you deal with that? It can be a very difficult time. So let me start with that. I think there are two very different examples you gave. One is like moving to another company uh, or and we could even add a third example. One is moving to another company. Um, you know, whether or not that's by choice, that makes a big difference, right? If you're forced out and you have to move somewhere else, I think you come with a very different power mindset than if you choose to accept a different role and maybe even if it is a step up from where you are now. And then I think retirement is different for everybody. For some people, I think they really see it as a rebirth, an ability to pursue and an opportunity to pursue things that you didn't have time and space for before. And other people see it really as a loss and something to grieve. And then there's people kind of in between those two sides, those two poles. I think the easier one, right, is when you choose to make that step, you leave your company and go somewhere else, especially if it's a step up. I think the ones that I see that are much more challenging are where you are asked to leave or you leave because maybe there has been a power struggle or you've lost power at your organization. And there's this question of, will I have power? in the same way or to what extent will I have power in this next in this next organization. Most people don't articulate it that way, but there is 
this kind of status? How will I be recognized? What kind of freedom will I have, etc. in this next role? And for some people, this is a huge cause of stress, but you can also have this in your own company, right? That maybe my role is changing or the environment is changing and what used to give me power, for example, my expertise isn't valued as much. And there's a new generation coming in that has more expertise that is valued than I do. And what does this mean for my power, my recognition, my status in this organization? And that I would say out of all these examples we talked about is the one that causes the most stress. And why is that? Because when you stay in the same company and you fear losing power, there's the internal struggle that you have to manage. Like, what does this mean for me, my self-worth, my identity? But then there's also the saving face. What will my colleagues think about me if I don't have the same power as before? Will they, will they not recognize me? Will they not want me to be part of their in-group anymore? Will they side with other people that are coming in that have power? So in all of the examples we talked about, John Joseph, I think that one, when you stay in the same organization and you fear losing power, your power is under threat. That is the one that I see people really struggling with the most. Thank you, Jennifer. I think that's a really great place to stop. Just as a reminder to listeners, Jennifer Jordan is an IMD professor in Lausanne. Her teaching and consulting focus is on digital leadership, ethics, influence, and the subject of today's episode, Power. It was great to have you here, Jennifer. Thank you, John Joseph. My pleasure. On the next episode, we'll be speaking about the future of this concept. See you next time.